We need a relevant faith. Somebody say amen. So this morning is week six of a series that we are preaching called Relevant Faith. I appreciate the fact that you let me come back and preach uh, after a much better and better looking preacher was here last week. And uh, amen. And uh, I appreciate the fact that you would come back and and hear me now that you've uh, had a dose of her. But thank you for supporting her, and uh, I watched online, and thank you for allowing me to go and be a blessing to the church in Morgantown. We had a tremendous service. They told me it was the biggest crowd they've ever had since they started that church. So uh, many people were set free and delivered. It was a great service. We had a great move of the Spirit. And uh, I was excited uh, to be able to preach, but I always miss you guys, but I knew you was in good hands because she's been taking care of me for most of my natural life. So... This morning, I'm going to preach out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. I'm going to ask you to do something that we try to do here very often, which is stand for the reading of the Word of God. We don't always do it because of the order of events of the sermon, but this morning, I'm going to get the text out of the way, and we're going to talk about relevant faith, and we're going to base this morning's lesson on heaven is a courtroom. Heaven is a courtroom. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 2. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. And all the brothers said, amen. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That was a, was a joke. This woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Okay? Even he rendered a decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? He just gave you a a hint about how heaven operates. He just gave you uh, the inside scoop. If you were looking for the secret, here it is. Don't quit. Just keep on keeping on. The only one of God's children who is ever defeated are the ones who refuse to put one foot in front of the other and continue on the journey. You can't quit because you will lose the moment you quit, but you can't lose as long as you don't quit. You are chosen to be an overcomer, and heaven is bending its ear to hear your cries. And if you are wondering about getting a prayer through to heaven, this message is is good for you. So before you're seated this morning, why don't you tell four or five people, this message is good for you. Will you do that? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. As, in the, as the prophet Jerry Reed has often said, I got a long way to go in a short time to get there. I have a lot of points to this message, and I need to go through most of them quickly so that I can get to the end of it. So let me begin this morning by simply saying, heaven is arranged like a courtroom. 
Now, I'm about to give you an eight-week teaching in about four hours. I have about an eight-week teaching that I have done on heaven is a courtroom. I'm, I'm not going to preach any of that. I'm going to give you a synopsis of another point this morning. But just so you know, I could back it up and go even deeper into the idea that heaven is arranged like a courtroom. The point of this parable, however, is that you and I should never stop praying if we really need something. We should never stop praying. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus uses a legal situation here to define prayer. He said there's a judge. Where do you find a judge? In a courtroom. So he sets up this spiritual concept, but he uses a very natural concept that you and I are familiar with. He said there's a judge. There's a, an adversary. She said, I'm here to settle a dispute with somebody. So there's an adversary. And then there's a petitioner. Say a petitioner. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Uh huh. Every time you take a prayer request to heaven, you are filing a petition. Heaven's like a courtroom. God is the judge. You are the one making a petition. Now, what I'm going to spend most of my sermon this morning, though, is talking about why your petitions don't get the results that this widow's did. She said, I need you to settle a dispute between me and adversary. So there's an adversary. You have an adversary. It's the devil. He's opposed to you. However, he's not the only enemy you got. There's also an enemy in a me. My own mind plays tricks on me. My own attitude holds me back. So I blame the devil, but Flip Wilson had it wrong. It ain't always his fault. Sometimes you are the blame for what's going on in your life. And, and I'm going to show you that as we break this down this morning and start talking about these things that we bring to God, these, these, these motions, these petitions that we bring to heaven, and we ask God to help us, to answer us, and, and, in a, and in a sense, the enemy is always trying to steal your righteousness. But it's not always a righteousness issue. Sometimes you just need a blessing. Sometimes you just need a touch. Sometimes you just need a healing. Sometimes you just need a miracle. Amen? And, and I'm going to tell you, and I don't have time to get into this. If I was, if I was teaching an eight-week series, I would get into all of this. You have a legal right to get into this court. It's called the blood of Jesus. You have a legal right because your defense attorney has opened a doorway to the courtroom and given you access to the heavenly throne. I take you to Hebrews and show you that. But I don't have time to teach any of that this morning. I just need to get that out of the way. Uh, not only has your defense attorney uh, already paved the way for you to be there, but he's also never lost a case. He's the undisputed heavyweight champion of all the court systems in the world, and he's never lost a case. And he stands on your behalf and opposes the adversary. In other words, the devil shouldn't be causing us as much chaos as he is because our defense attorney has already defeated him. Which tells me a lot of my problems don't come from the devil. A lot of the problems is not an issue with the enemy being overcome because he's already been overcome. What I'm still trying to overcome is me. So the great news is the system is rigged. Oh, yeah, yeah, the court is stacked in your favor because we know the judge and our defense attorney and 
the bailiff, the Holy Ghost, is all on your side. So when you stand in heaven's courtroom, you've got the whole system stacked in your favor. What a legal team we have. So in the court of heaven, whether you're paying off, uh, paying for your individual needs or you're praying for your family or you're praying for the nation, whatever the situation, you are pleading the legal rights of anyone that you are praying for. And in a courtroom, there are laws and rules that determine the outcome. You can't just go in there and have two people argue and the judge just says, okay, I'm just going to make up my mind. He follows something called precedence. It's rules. It's a set of bylaws. It, 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 is, it is the system as it is arranged, and those are the things that they use to determine the outcome. Are you tracking me? So you bring your case to a courtroom, and the judge determines the outcome, but he uses laws in order to do that. So, you can't gauge your need today based on how you prayed yesterday because every court case is different. And the way somebody else prayed and got their blessing may not work for you because you have a whole different system that you are operating under. So the more laws you understand, the more effective you will be when you bring your petition to the court. Is everybody with me? So let's, let's dive into this. Let me give you a legal definition here. It's called a motion. Requests in a courtroom are called motions. They are requests for legal action made to a judge before, during, or after a trial. Your prayers are motions. You're asking the judge. Who's the judge? God. You're asking the judge, just like this widow woman, you're asking the judge to rule in your favor. That's all prayer is. Now, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly. I got to hoop a little bit to get y'all on board. Hey, he's got to do exceedingly abundantly, more than we can imagine or even think. I can preach like that. You know I can't. But I want you to pay attention to that scripture. Notice what it says. Now, unto him who is able. Do you notice it says able, not required? Uh, good, good. Keep that in mind. Because the next verse that I want to share with you is Jeremiah 33 and 3. Where the Bible says, call to me and I might answer you. Oh, that's not what it says. Call to me and if I'm in a good mood. I will answer you. Is that what it says? No, it says, call to me and I, call to me and I will. Uh-huh. So what he said was, I answer every single prayer. Hello? I answer every single prayer. Now, he don't always answer it the way you like him to. Because believe it or not, no is an answer. Wait a little while is an answer. Grow up first is an answer. Somebody say amen. <laughs> in a little while. Anybody ever answered your kids with in a little while? In a little while is an answer. So he answers every single prayer. What he don't do is say yes to every single prayer. And that, my friend, is where we get ourselves in trouble. And that's why I want to talk to you this morning because this leads us to one of the toughest questions that we ever ask in life. 
If God is so powerful and He is so loving, why don't He give me what I want? Why, why have why so and so got such and such and I? Why is a drug dealer driving nicer cars than I am? I go to church and all the Christians out there got Christian bumper stickers holding their car together. Bailing wire holding on their bumper so they can get an inspection sticker. And the drug addict and the drug dealers have got uh, brand new Escalades driving up and down the road. How, how, come, how come I prayed for a miracle and I didn't get one? But we laid hands on such and such and they got healed. Listen, I prayed for a lot of sick folk in my ministry. And some of them have had miraculous healing. Some of them have had instantaneous miracles. Some of them have gotten healed gradual, little bit by little bit. And some of them have died. I know good people who have loved the Lord with their whole heart. And they prayed for their marriage. And they prayed their marriage would get restored. They begged God. They poured out their sorrows to Him. They came to the altar every church service because they knew God hates divorce and they held on to the scriptures and they knew that God had the power to change it and they believed all the way through divorce court. And they never understood why somebody else's marriage got fixed. So I'm going to give you nine reasons why your emotions will get denied. I'm not going to tell you this is an exhaustive list because then I would be all-knowing, and I'm not. And you're not either. Unless Jesus is here. I didn't see him this morning. but I, I'm not all-knowing, but I have found in my ministry and through the study of the Scriptures that there's at least nine things I can show you that will keep you from having your emotions accepted as a yes in heaven. You ready to jump into this? I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. The first one I want to talk to you about, if you think about it in the simplest of terms, some things are very obvious, right? For instance, what if two people are asking God for different things? Well, at least one of them is going to be disappointed with the Lord, right? Let me get, let me get to you in practical terms. A kid gets up and wants to pray, God, give us a snow day. Mama in the next room, God, if these kids don't go to school, I'm going to need some grace or turn your back for about an hour while I whoop them up this street and back down the other side. <laughs> because, listen, when that news report comes across the bottom and their school either is or isn't, one of them is going to be going, why, God? Huh? Because they're both praying for different things, both of them can't be satisfied, right? Every sports season, listen, next Sunday, there's going to be people in L.A. And, and people across the country, both of them praying, God, let my team win the Super Bowl. Not that I care, uh, think that God cares too much about who wins the Super Bowl, but somebody's going to be upset with God over it. Amen. What happens, what happens when two believers show up at the same company and they're both praying to get the same job? And only one of them, if one of them at all gets it, only one of them can get it. How does God say yes to one and no to the... We'll get into that. Put a pin in that thought. I'll come back to it. Number two, and this is a big one, and this is one I'd like to spend about eight weeks teaching you. Your emotions will get denied if there's sin in your life. See, you can stand in a court of law down at the courthouse, 
And you can lie to the judge, lie to the bailiff. You can lie to your attorney. You can lie to everybody in there. You can tell them that you are uh, faithful and that you have paid all your bills and that you have been an upstanding citizen and that you have done no wrong. And you can get on the stand and put your hand on the Bible and raise your other hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God, and then lie like a rug. But what you won't do is lie to heaven. And heaven knows when there's sin in our life. And nobody wants to stand in pulpits in 2022 and address the sin issue anymore because we're afraid that we're going to run some folks off. But I'm going to tell you the truth this morning by the Spirit of God that a church should be both a place of grace and truth. Because grace will allow you to belong. But grace does not set you free. The truth is what sets you free. And it does not do any good to have a bunch of people in church if those people are bound. And if, and if all we have is a belonging culture in the church and we don't have a truth culture, then nobody is getting free and nobody's getting healed and there's no power in the altar services. Because we can't just be Christians. We have to be Bible-believing Christians. And the Bible is not progressive. The Bible is perfect, and God is not progressive. God is perfect. See, if God was progressive like they're trying to convince you it, he is, that would mean he's flawed and he needs to improve. But we don't change the Bible to suit culture. We expect culture to change to suit the Bible. The Word of God is the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word shall remain the same. And we have to stand up for what we believe again because when the church shuts up, people die because nobody is telling the truth anymore. And we have gotten afraid of telling the truth in this culture because we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. Ain't nobody else scared to do it. A few weeks ago, I went to the doctor. First thing through the door. They made me get on that scale. Most offensive machine on the planet. You get up on that scale. You look at them, they look at you. Both of you look at the number. They ain't afraid of offending you. It's right there in front of everybody. They're over writing it down. Sometimes they're going. They ain't afraid of offending you. Why? Because there's a standard. There's a standard. And if you want to be healthy, that number tells you where you are on the standard. It tells you how far away you are from being what you need to be. Because if the only standard I have is how much room I got left in my sweatpants, I'm in good shape. But see, there's a standard that tells me I'm healthy or unhealthy based on what the readout is. And there is a standard for you as far as your spiritual health goes. And if you're going to God asking God for miracles, but you have sin in your life, the standard says you've got other issues besides praying for another job. You need to pray to get this mess out of your life. And, uh, see, 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 it's going to get quiet. I, I, I'll win you back here in a minute, okay? Because the church needs to be like that scale. We need to let everybody know what the standard is. If you want to be healthy spiritually, right here is the standard. Number three, we pray for things that, yes, is impossible. I know I can hear it already. But God said anything is possible. You're right. You're right. With God, all things are possible. 
you're, you're absolutely right. But the second follow-up question to that should be, but why would God use the resources? I was preaching a revival one time. I had a woman come up to me and ask me to help her pray because her house had burned down. And she wanted God, because it was her grandfather's house and her mother's house is how she grew up in, she wanted God to build the house back. No, no, no. Not one like it. She wanted, she wanted God to raise another house up out of the ashes and put that actual physical house back with the same cracks in the wall. And this. I said, God's not going to do that. Listen, honey, I, I, I understand you're grieving, but God's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. Somebody asked me one time to, to pray for their husband to come back. I said, well, that's a worthy cause. Problem was, he was married to somebody else. I said, God's not going to do that. He's not going to bust up their marriage because y'all busted y'all's up first and drag him back to you. That yes is impossible because then God is having to go against what he said he hates in order to answer you with a yes. Number four. When we pray for things that are already determined. Now, I'm about to get somebody upset with me. I'm sorry. But once they've breathed their last, you, don't, you can light all the candles you want. You can give all the offerings you want. Their decision for eternity has already been decided. You don't have to pray for a corpse. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's no need in praying because that decision was already made. Uh, listen, I had somebody one time help me pray. I got four daughters, and my wife is three months pregnant. Help me pray it's a boy. God's not going to do that. That choice is already made. At three months, that baby's already in there. It's got what it needs. God's not rewiring that baby because you are tired of estrogen in your house. It, so, so, yeah, in those instances, uh, it, it, things are already <laughs> determined. Number, number five, then there's prayers we ask for where he would have to take away the free will of another person. Uh huh. This is when one spouse is praying desperately for God to save the marriage, but the other spouse has already emotionally moved on. Hear me? Could God arrest them? Absolutely, but God is God, not Cupid. He's not going to change somebody's free will. If they don't love you anymore, God won't make them love you. And oh, by the way, just because you come to church and you're not married and you cute, don't mean God's going to give you the other cute person that comes to your church that ain't married just because you think God gave them to you. You may not be their type, honey. Just because y'all both saved and your biological clock is doing like this, does not mean that God's going to turn them into yours. He may have something else in mind for you. So when we pray, sometimes we hear no or wait or at a later time because we're asking things that God's not going to say yes to. Number six, when your version of healing is limited. Anybody ever prayed for somebody that was sick and they did not recover? It's devastating, isn't it? Especially when you believed. I'm talking about, like, we, we've had people where the whole church was believing. Like, I was convinced the cancer was gone. I was convinced that the miracle had taken place, and then I preached the funeral. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough sledding. And this is the, one of those points that you need to get in your spirit this morning, because if God healed every sick person that we prayed for, 
this planet would be pretty crowded because you ain't never ready to let Grandpa go. Grandpa's got good stories. Smells like mothball. You want to keep him around. Always got a pocket full of candy. You love Grandpa. Grandpa's 972 years old. We keep praying. Grandpa's on the back, ain't got no teeth no more, can't get out of bed. Say, would you please quit praying for me and let me go? <laughs> See, when your version of what being healed is limited, you don't understand that it is appointed unto every man wants to die, wants to die. But if they're a believer, they already got their healing. They got the ultimate healing. They're with God now, and there is a healing for the believers. And if you are a believer, you didn't put a period at the end of your sentence. It's a comma because you're going to see them again, and there's going to be a reunion when you get to the other side. So when you, when you are only limited to, I want to keep Grandpa around forever. If you are trying to outlive your grandparents, your version of healing is limited. Number seven, because your perspective is limited. What does that mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. God sees farther down the road than you do. He sees around the corner. He sees potential danger that you are not aware of. God sees the unintended consequences of what you are asking Him to do for you. You're asking Him to give you a job, but God knows that if you take that job, it's going to take you out of church. God knows that if he gives you that job, there's somebody there that's going to stab you in the back because they're going to be threatened by your, uh, your abilities and you are going to be miserable and then the thing you begged God to get you into, you'll be begging him to get you out of. Somebody say amen. Every answered prayer has consequences attached to them that you can't see. Your prayer life would look drastically different if you knew what God knows. How many of you are parents? Uh-huh. You didn't give your kids everything they asked for, did you? Why? Because you knew there was danger and stuff that they asked you for. They asked you for things that you knew they couldn't handle. Well, guard, God guards against our prayers interfering with our purpose. God will not allow your prayers to override your purpose, my God in heaven. We chase after things that we think are good for us, but God knows better. Can I go there? I think I will. We chase love because God is love. And, and 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient and love is kind. And Hallmark tells me that on Valentine's Day I should have love of my life. and Love, 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 love. And I chase love. But be careful when you chase love that you don't outrun God. See, love is great, but love has side effects, one of which is stupidity. You ever heard the saying, love is blind? <laughs> you got that right. Uh, love, listen, let me tell you what happens with love. It's so beautiful. It's too, so beautiful when people fall in love. Let me tell you what happens with love. Love turns you into a giver. It's the way God designed love. So two young people fall into love, and they can't give anything to each other. They can't give each other a house. They can't give each other a ring. They can't give each other a wedding, so they'll give what they have. So they'll give their bodies. 
Because they can't give. Because love turns you into, you want to give, you want to give, you want to give them everything you can give them. And when you can't give them tangible things, you'll give them what you got. So it's your job to teach your kids to be careful with love. And it's my job to teach you to be careful with love. Maybe you don't go out for, on a date for, you know, at least six days after you broke up with the last one. Have a cooling off period. They make you do it for a firearm. I think you should do it with the relationships. Slow down a little bit. You're not quite healed up yet. Be careful with love. Some boy shows up wanting to date your daughter. What does he have to give? Answer, nothing. He's a homeless person. He lives in his parents' basement. He has nothing to give her. Tell him to pound sand. You need to teach your children to listen to other people. Oh boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Help me, Holy Ghost. Listen to other people that are farther from the relationship than they are. If I was going to hang a picture on this stage, I would look at Sarah and say, what would I ask you? Is, is, is it straight? Do you know why I can't see if it's straight? Because I'm too close to it. Ah, so if you get in the wrong relationship, you're like this. This is exactly what I was dreaming about. This is what I was praying for. This is working out exactly the way that I wanted it to work out. This is, that, I tell you what, he is fine. He is so fine. He is so good to me. I just cannot get over how good God is. Ain't, won't God do it? And your, and your mom and your friends and your pastor's like, honey, it's upside down. And you're like, you just don't want me to be happy. You're always trying to hold me back. I told you I was going to get in trouble. If you're too close to it, you can't tell if it's lining up right. So don't give too much of yourself to them. Because if they get too close to you, they don't know if they're lining up right. And that's why they don't get in no hurry to marry you because they already, they can't tell if it's lining up or not. See, that's why it's a real good idea to keep some distance between you and somebody that you would like to marry. Because if you let them get too close, they can't tell if it's lining up. So they won't go all in. Number eight. y'all. <laughs> number eight. Because we neglect what Jesus taught us about prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray. Mark chapter 14 uh, Jesus was less than a few hours away from facing his death. He went into the garden to pray. And while he was there, he went a little further, verse 35 says, fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things. Here we go. Remember I told you, everything's possible. God can do everything. God can do anything. All things are possible for you. So take this cup from me. Stop right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. God, you can do this. So take the cup from me. And you stick a period. Jesus taught us how to pray, and he put a semicolon. Which means I'm going to say something that is hinged to the first part of this, but is going a different direction. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. So it's okay for us to tell God, God, I don't want to go through this. It is totally okay for you to go to God and say, God, I don't want to get laid off. 
God, I don't want cancer. I don't want to get divorced. It's okay for you to to go to God just like Jesus did and say, God, I don't want this. I don't want to have to endure this. However, you're going to have to get to the place where you ultimately say, however, not my will, but God, whatever you want for me, I will endure it like a good soldier. Because we don't just tell God what we want. We tell God that we want Him. We want His will done in our life. Here's what I notice when I start praying. You ready? I'm just going to testify. Y'all are much more holy than this, so pray for me. I've noticed when I pray to God that I want to tell God to take me through it, but I always tell Him to take me the easiest way. With the least amount of pain, with the least amount of discomfort, and the least amount of sacrifice. God, I want you to take me through this, and here's how I want you to do it. Zip, zam, doom. Unfortunately, my way... Well, let's just read Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, saith the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, the problem is God doesn't want to, ta- to bring you through the easiest way. He wants to take you the best way. And the best way causes you to grow. And this is what my sermons are going to be about in the next coming season is about real growth because he's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. And some of us have been in the way for a long time, but our character and our demeanor and our nastiness and our personality dysfunction and our attitudes are not lining up with God. And we're wondering why our kids aren't saved and we're wondering why our marriage is busted up and we're wondering why we don't have no power to heal the sick. And I'm going to tell you that as I, as I stand in front of you, by the Spirit, complaining about everything is how you tell God that you don't agree with how He's running your life. Listen, if praise and worship attracts the presence of God, what do you think complaining and arguing attracts? God has a better plan than you do. It's time we learn God's smarter than us. And by the way, God don't work on your timetable. God has all of eternity to keep His promises. He's not limited to how fast you think it has to happen. Which is good, because that means my prayers don't have any expiration dates on them. That means I'm praying for my kids, and just because they didn't get saved at that last one service I got them to, doesn't mean that they won't get saved. Because my prayers don't have an expiration date. I'm going to show you something that you're not going to like. Are you ready? Some problems are permanent. I just listen, I brought you all the way, I brought you all the way through this sermon to get to this point because I want you to know God can, but He don't always. Because He thinks higher than you think. His ways are not your ways. Some problems are permanent because they are part of His plan. We believe prayer changes things. But some things aren't going to change no matter how much you pray because it's not God's plan. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Paul said, I prayed three times for God to heal me. And God said no. Do you like that? Does that make you want to jump and run the aisle? I prayed for healing. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. And he prayed three times, and finally God said, not going to do it. 
David, the apple of God's eye, asked God, I want to build you a house, and God said, no. He doesn't always give you what you want because his plan is different. So the way that we take our petitions to heaven's courtroom is that we bring them and we place them at the, at the throne of the judge and we say, whatever you decide is going to be okay with me. I'm not coming to you. I'm asking you to do this for me. And we'll be like that widow woman. We'll keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. But at some point, he's going to render his verdict. And sometimes you're not going to like what the verdict is because he's going to say no when you ask him for yes. And you can't just at that point get mad at God, throw a temper tantrum, fold your arms and quit. You have to say, you know what? Then that must mean that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And you must know something I I don't know. So the question is, do you want God and his fullness or do you want God to do your will? I want to show you something. Number nine. This is, this, I've been leading up to this. The reason he says no, the reason he says wait, the reason you go through what you go through, he wants to use the trials you face to help somebody else. Who do you think starts ministries to help hurting people? Hurt people. People who prayed for God to stop their pain, but they had to go through it. People who prayed that God would take the addiction away from them, but they had to, they had to fight through nine courses of rehab. Paul in the New Testament. He writes that he wanted to go and preach in Rome. Nothing nefarious about that. Preacher wanting to go get people saved. Paul said, I want to go to Rome. But the Holy Ghost has prevented me. He asked God for something and God said, And that doesn't seem right because had Paul went to Rome, he would have got some people saved. That's what Paul did. Every town he blew into, either a riot or a revival broke out. But either way, folks got saved. He said, I asked the Holy Spirit to send me to Rome to preach, and he said no. And instead of going to Rome, he went to jail. He didn't get to go to Rome like he asked. Instead, he got arrested where he was in Ephesus and ended up in a prison in Philippi. Now, on the surface, that would seem like that's a bum deal because he didn't get what he asked for and he got worse after he prayed. But sometimes God wants to take you through some stuff so the folks that are watching you the folks that you are attached to can learn from your misery. <laughs> and had Paul went to Rome, there's no doubt in my mind, some of the Romans would have got saved. But while he was in prison, he took a piece of papyrus and a pen, and he wrote some letters. One he wrote, and he sent off to Ephesus. And one he wrote and sent it off to Philippi. 
And one he wrote and sent off to Titus. And another he wrote and sent off to the churches in Galatia. And had Paul went to Rome, some Romans would have got saved. But I couldn't stand up here this morning and tell you to be anxious for nothing. Because Paul would have never wrote these words. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your needs be known unto God. I can stand here this morning and tell you, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are, are, are a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise, think on these things. And the only reason I can tell you that was because Paul went to jail. And while he was in jail, God was using him to minister to me and I'm holding on to his messages he went through hell so I could get free uh, in other words God doesn't waste your pain think about what Jesus suffered for us and I don't have to understand God's answer to know that it is motivated by love God don't do me nothing but good. The greatest test of your faith will be when God answers prayers differently than you asked for. See, we think we know why bad things happen sometimes. And we think that if we know, it'll make it easier. But it don't. If we're honest, a lot of trials that we have survived were brought on by us not doing what we knew was right. A lot of the problems that I have endured in my life has been because I knew to do one thing and I did the opposite. Let me give it to you like this. The only acceptable apology is to change. So if I have to keep going to my wife and apologizing for the same thing over and over and over and over again, eventually my wife should say, I don't want to hear your apology. I want to see you change. To which I would say, can't I just keep apologizing? Because saying I'm sorry is easier than changing. <laughs> so, so we talk about we talk about Judas betraying the Lord. But Peter betrayed him too. And the difference is when Judas did it, Judas stopped. Peter changed. So when we talk about Judas, we say he was the one who betrayed the Lord. We don't talk about that with Peter because when you stop after you have made a mistake, when you stop, you build a memorial to the mistake. Judas ran out and hung himself, committed suicide. He never got to make up for the problem that he created. Peter kept going. And when you keep going... You finally understand what Romans 8 and 28 means. All things. Say all things. Not some things, not most things, not, not the things on Sundays, not the things on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but all things work together for the what? The good. For those that are what? He, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, church, in all things. Say all. huh? Whether that's good or bad, God is working. 
all things God is working. By necessity, that means that, when, that no matter what's happening in us, around us, or to us, His work is working things out for our good. That doesn't mean everything happening to you is good. It means that when He puts the good and the bad together and mixes it up and He gets invested in it and He gets involved in it, that it's going to shake out in the end and will promote you and bring you forward and make you smarter and make you wiser and make you stronger. And you may not have started out one way, but you're going a different direction, and you'll find out later that that direction was good. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Can I tell you something? You're going to make mistakes, and it's okay. Every child falls while they're learning to walk. How ridiculous would it be for Charity to look at little Ezra, and every time he falls down when he's trying to well, she said, when you get serious about this walking, you holler at me. I just don't think you're taking it serious enough. But that's what we do in church. When a baby Christian falls down, well, I don't think you're being very serious about this. When Ezra falls down, we're going to be like, you can do it. Get back out. Come on. Come on. You can do it. We don't cheer for young Christians like that. We tell them. You yell at us when you get serious about this thing. We're supposed to be a place where people come to heal, not get wounded. Now let's talk about the healing process. And I don't have time to preach the rest of my sermon. I got like 10 pages to go. But let's just talk about the healing process and I'm going I'm to get out of your way. We have to learn how to minister to people out of our scars, not out of our open wounds. And the problem is, we got in church 50 years ago this mindset that we can't show anybody that we have anything wrong with us. Because for us to admit that we are not strong all the time and full of faith and power is to let God down. And no, we're letting God down because we're too prideful to admit that we don't know everything and we don't have it all together. It took me a long time to learn this because I came up in the old school where everybody's supposed to, you just profess it and you believe it and you don't admit wrongs to nobody. But James says we're supposed to pray for each other. Confess our sins to each other. Pray for one another. And what in the world kind of service would that be if I just started asking y'all to confess your sins to each other? Some of y'all be like, I knew I shouldn't have came to church today. Oh, God, he was done 20 minutes ago. I should have quit already and left. You see, Jesus will heal a wound, but he won't take away your scars. And we try to cover up our scars with clothing and makeup because we don't want anybody to look at them, but it's the scars that you carry that lets other people see them and know that if he healed them in you, he can heal the same thing in them. And we try to hide our scars from people. When really it's the ministry coming out of us. I'm gonna listen. I have I, honestly, I got ten pages to go, and I'm trying to condense it down into two sentences. When God heals you from something, He leaves the medicine inside of you. 
When, when he heals you from addiction, he leaves the medicine inside of you. When he heals you from pride, he leaves the medicine. When he heals you from cancer, he leaves the medicine inside of you so you can give it to other people. Because we're all called to be freely I have received and freely I will give away. But, but we've gotten to this mindset in the church where we can't let people see that we have scars. But you've got to learn how to minister out of scars and not open wounds. How do you know the difference? When you don't feel it anymore. If you have fresh surgery, it's tender, it hurts. It's something you got to be very careful with. But I have scars on my body that have no feeling. Scars from when I was little, scars from when I was grown, scars. Scars indicate there was once a wound, but healing has come. And I can show you that it's healed because I no longer feel the pain. You will know that you are healed and you have the medicine to give to somebody else when you no longer feel the pain of what you've been through. You and I are called to give this glory away. For so long, we've been praying for God to deliver us from everything. And when it doesn't happen, we get mad at heaven. But God sent you through some of it simply because he wants you to help somebody else. Let me show you how it works practically. Your kids go to public school. They get, they get cursed all day. I don't mean filthy words. I'm talking about you're fat, you're ugly. We don't like you. We don't want you to play with us. They just constantly get cursed and cursed and cursed and cursed. When they come home from school, they need you to meet a word with the word. They need you to counteract all that negativity that the demonic has been putting on them all day and tell them, you're amazing, you're beautiful. God's going to use you to change the world. You're going to preach his word one day. You're going to be a great singer. You need to speak affirmation over them to counteract all the wickedness that they have been taking in all day long. You have been at work all week. You've been consuming Fox News and CNN News and MSNBC. You've been watching stuff on your Twitter feed. And you have been consumed all week long in demonic and hellish activity just permeating your being. And when you come into this church, I have to open up my throat and I have to bless you. I have to tell you you're more than an overcomer. That the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against anything that comes against you. That you're the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. I have to be able to give a word, the word, to counteract a word that's been trying to bring you down. So when you come to church, you need to learn how to prophesy to one another. And I'm not talking about tell them uh, uh, three things that's going to happen in their future. I mean, you need to be able to look at people and say, I'm glad you're here today. You know, Jesus loves you. Did you know that? He is crazy about you. And that that's not a stretch. You don't have to be a preacher to say that. You know Jesus loves everybody. But that's what a church is supposed to be about. That I have been through hell and high water and God has brought me through. And if he did it for me, he will do it for you so don't give up and don't give in and you can just keep on going that's what church is supposed to be that's what church is supposed to be so so here's what I want to end with and if, if I can just get the musicians to come on up when something don't work out the way you wanted it to the way you've envisioned it you still have to trust God 
that it worked out for your good. Can I just come down here? I'm going to do more of this. I want you to understand something. Some of you, some of you come to church every Sunday, and the hardest thing that you've got to, to study about is, do we going to get KFC when church is over, or do we have time to sit down and eat something a little nicer? But there's somebody sitting beside you or near you in your section who barely made it here today. And their life is unraveling as I speak. Everybody's not on the same level in a crowd this size. And some folks are about to give up because life has kicked them over and over and you have no idea so I'm up here preaching the gospel. And you're like, that's cute, Pastor. That's, that's a nice little sermon. But to them, to them, it's life and death. If they don't get it this Sunday, they may not come back. They're being completely tormented in their mind and in their spirit. And the same sermon's going out for all of you. But you're all receiving it in a different way fashion and I have to believe I have to believe that I can trust him even when he doesn't give me what I ask him to when I ask him for this and he says no I have to believe Romans 8 and 28 is for me too See, we, we're Pentecostal and we, ah, yeah, yeah, ah, ah, and all things work together. I hoop, I get, everybody starts shouting and clapping their hands. All things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and the called according to His purpose. And you shout at that when you just got promotion. You shout for that scripture when, every, when, the, when grandma's tumor went away. When I say all things, I mean the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's some people sitting in here that the tumor ain't dried up yet. There's some people sitting in here, while you're getting a promotion, they just got a pink slip. And I have to believe, I have to believe that I can trust God. When I prayed for the job to stay and the job left, I have to believe that all things work together. Does it say all things are good? No, no, no. He would be a liar because I've had some stuff that wasn't good. He says all things work. That means he takes the mess I'm in right now, mixes it with the blessing that I had last month. Y'all not going to help me. See, you forget about the blessing last month when you're going through hell right now. You forget about how last month you had COVID, was wondering if you was about to die. If mama had COVID and you wondered if she was going to make it. You forget about that because right now this is all that matters and God's not answering me and God's not doing what I want him to do. Have you forgotten how many times you thought that you was meeting your end but God raised you up and set your life and turned you around and gave you a back? Have you forgot that? 
Because what God does is he keeps immaculate records and he reaches back in your history and snatches the good. Puts it in your present bad and works it all together. And what you think is about to kill you, pinch yourself. You're still here. And if you're still here, that means there's still time for good to come out of this. Somebody open your mouth right now and prophesy something good is coming. Something good is coming out of this. Something good is coming. See, no, no, no. Some of you won't shout because you're waiting on the something good. I know you. I know you. I've been around church folk for a long time. I know you. Some of you refuse to shout until the good shows up. But I'm ready to shout when the walls ain't failed yet. How ridiculous is it for God to send Joshua into battle and the only weapon he's carrying is a shout? He didn't have a missile. He didn't have a tank or a grenade. What brought the wall down was a shout. Because I can shout before the miracle shows up to show God I trust him. Yes, God, something good is going to come out of this. I don't know how, and I don't know when, and I can't see what, but I know something good is going to come out of this. He who has begun a good work in me is going to finish it. I have to believe that if it wasn't for my good, you wouldn't be letting me go through it. I have to believe that if it was going to kill me, you wouldn't let it come on me. I'm going to live and not die. I'm going to shout the victory until I see victory show up because it's all working for my good. If you believe that this morning, would you jump to your feet and give God some praise? I just want to leave God room. I just want to leave God room to do what He wants to do without me coughing an attitude. Some of y'all got kids. Some of y'all got little kids. And they want ice cream. And you say, we got ice cream at home. I want Dairy Queen. We got Dairy Queen at the house. And, and Dairy Queen is great value butter pecan in the container, right? We got Dairy Queen at the house. And they cop an attitude. Because while you are going to give them a blessing, they about to talk themselves right out of it. Because by copping an attitude over what they are going to get, you about to say, fine. When we get to the house, just march your little self right in there and go to bed. And what you would have got, because it wasn't what you wanted, now you don't get nothing. Because it wasn't what you wanted. It didn't come in the package you desired. didn't come in the timing you wanted. didn't come exactly the way you wanted. It wasn't, a, it wasn't six foot two and fine. 
He didn't have the biceps and the triceps. She didn't have the bada-bang, bada-boom. You asked for a job. He gave you one. I don't like that one. I want this one. Fine. What you was going to get, now you're not going to get nothing. I have to believe that something good is going to come out of this. What you're going through right now, something good is going to... See, we have to learn how to prophesy to ourselves and to one another. I'm trying to teach you, and I had 10 pages of notes to teach you. Something good's going to come out of this. Why don't you look at your neighbor? Just look at them. I know you don't have to get uncomfortable and touch them. Look at your neighbor and say, something good is coming your way. Can you do that? Just learn to prophesy to each other. Something good is coming your way. Something good is coming your way. Something good is going to come out of this. I know you're going to cry. Some of you are going to cry yourself to sleep tonight. But trust me, hold on. Something good is going to come out of this. It's not what you prayed for. It's not what you asked him for. But something good. When he mixes it all together, something good is going to come out of this. Because when he gets you promoted out of the hell you're in, you got the medicine in you to deposit into somebody else. So before, before you leave this morning, that's what I want you to practice. I want you to find four or five people. We ain't got to get serious and hold hands and pray, but I want you to just leave. That's going to be my dismissal for you this morning. I want you to just walk around, find four, five, 10, 15 people, and just look at them and say, I'm believing with you. Something good's going to happen. Because I want you to get in the practice of blessing people giving them the medicine that the Holy Spirit has left inside of you. We spend enough time cursing each other. It's time we start learning how to prophesy to each other. I believe some, I just told Cindy out in the hallway, she is the fittest train wreck I've ever met. But she works out all the time and she's always sweating to the oldies and all that stuff. But she's, she'll wreck her car, she'll get dog bit, the cat scratched her, she broke her feet. Always, it's always something. But I believe something good is going to come out of this. Paul and Joy, I believe something good is going to come out of this for Bubba. I believe, I believe something good is going to come out of this. And we don't see it when we're going through it because the nasty and the ugly doesn't let us see. But I believe when it's all put together, God's better at mixing than I am, that it all it's going to come out good. So that's my dismissal for you this morning. I'm not going to have you come up to the altar. I'm going to have you go to each other. Make each other an altar. Just find some people. Learn to bless one another. And tell them, I'm believing with you something good is coming your way. Will you do that this morning? God bless you. Promise of victory. I love you.